Today on the Matt Wall Show, New York City attempts to lure all of the groomers who are upset about Florida's anti-grooming law. Meanwhile, the sexual indoctrinators in the public school system continue to out themselves in droves, another benefit of the Florida law. Also, D.C. authorities continue to refuse to investigate the murder of five fully developed infants in the city. And you heard about corn pop. Now Biden has a story to share about Big Mama. Plus, Oreos go woke. And at our daily cancellation, Madonna has apparently turned into some kind of lizard. But it's better than looking old, she thinks. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, dealing with finances might not be an enjoyable experience, but on the other hand, seeing my expenses decrease and my savings increase, well, that is an enjoyable and rewarding experience. And these days, uh, it's also necessary for so many people to save all the money that you can. I've been saving hundreds a month after refinancing my mortgage with American Financing. Since working with them, I've been able to put more money away towards family vacations and other financial goals that we have. With interest rates being so low, it would be a mistake, I think, to not give them a call. What are you waiting for? Take advantage of a free mortgage review where a salary-based mortgage consultant will help guide you through all the different refinancing options available to you. There's no pressure, no obligation. You're not going to be on the hook. All you got to do is just have a simple conversation about custom loans that will help you achieve your goals faster. And if you start soon, you could skip up to two payments and you may close in as fast as 10 days. All you got to do is call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Or visit American Financing. Net. NMLS 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Last month, an astrophysicist at NASA named Alex Howe published a paper proposing an ambitious and possibly insane idea to build human colonies on Venus. Of course, uh, temperatures on the planet routinely make it up to about 800 degrees with 200-mile-per-hour winds and a poisonous atmosphere 95% comprised of carbon dioxide. Seems like a rather inhospitable place for human life, but Hal's plan, anyway, is still to construct giant floating rafts that would hover far above the most toxic part of the planet. And there would be big machines converting the upper layer of the atmosphere into breathable air, and you would just kind of live up there on the big raft, drifting above the hellish abyss, hoping that you know the machines don't malfunction or run out of gas, given especially that the nearest gas station would be approximately 75 million miles away. Now, I bring this up because I think it could be a great alternative for the people in our country who are so disturbed and mortified by the anti-groomer movement in Florida and across the country. Perhaps for the people who adamantly oppose efforts to protect children and who openly desire to turn little five-year-olds into genderqueer bisexuals, it would ultimately be best if they kind of formed their own settlements as far away from the rest of human civilization as possible. Venus is basically hell already, so it seems like an appropriate location. And it's where they're all headed anyway when it comes down to it. So and it, where the, you know, we could just cut to the chase and they could hurl themselves directly into the sun. That would be a, a more than acceptable compromise, I think. Now, until we have the technology and logistical capability, though, to explore those alternatives, I think the one offered this week by Mayor Eric Adams in New York might be the best option. So the mayor's office posted this on Monday on Twitter. It says, breaking. New York City mayor announces a new digital billboard campaign in five Florida markets denouncing the hateful don't say gay law and inviting Floridians to move to New York. And as you can see, the billboard says that uh, it says the word gay over and over again. And um, it invites groomers to come to the city where you can say whatever you want. Of course, that's not a universal invitation. I mean, not anybody can say whatever they want. For example, they certainly don't want you to come to New York City and say that men can't get pregnant or women don't have penises. They don't want to hear that. There are many basic truths that these latter-day flat earthers do not want you to say in New York City or anywhere else. No, they're specifically recruiting the sorts of people who want to say sexually confusing things to preschoolers. That's what they're going after. New York, by the way, can't stop homeless drug addicts from randomly tossing women in front of trains on the subway but rather than focus on that problem or all the drugs, all the crime and everything, they're busy running a recruitment drive for pedophiles. Here's the mayor himself making his sales pitch to the groomers of Florida. Listen. That's what this movement of Don't Say Gay is about. Uh, this uh, political uh, showmanship of attempting to demonize a particular group or community is unacceptable. And we are going to loudly uh, show our support and say to those who are living in Florida, listen, we want you here in New York. 
you know, we want you right here in New York City. And it's more than just saying that. It's also standing up and aligning ourselves uh, with the men and women of the LGBTQ plus community and stating that we are in unison with you and your right uh, to uh, have uh, self-identification, your right to be uh, live the lifestyle and live uh, the lives that you choose to live. You know, I, I love this idea personally. Adam says um, his appeal is to LGBT people, but that's that's not the case. The bill in Florida has nothing at all to do with LGBT people at all. It very specifically targets the sexual indoctrination of young children and forbids any school employee, gay or straight or whatever else, from engaging in such activities. So it is those people, those who want to sexually indoctrinate children, who Adams is really trying to entice here. And it sounds great to me. I mean, in fact, as a Tennessean, I'd like to personally invite the mayor to launch a similar billboard campaign in my state in order to lure our groomers to New York. I think it's great. The normal people of America are fully on board with any plan to round these people up, consolidate them, and get them all in one place. After all, at this point, New York City really isn't much different from Venus from a sort of quality of life perspective anyway. Now, this is one of the best things, I think, about the legislation. It has had the probably unintended effect of flushing the groomers out into the open. The aftermath of this bill is, is, it's like the sidewalk after a rainstorm. All the worms have slithered out of their holes. You can practically smell them. They're announcing themselves to the world. Like, for example, um, here's this, this woman here, a, a preschool drag king who's very upset about the law. Let's listen to her. So because I've been getting this question a lot lately, I am going to use this space to answer it. And that is, as a preschool teacher, a drag king, and as a member of the LGBTQ community, how do I feel about the new legislations for like the don't say gay bill or the reporting of transgender kids. And while I don't see things like that too much in preschool, my opinion on it is that I don't care what the government tells me to do. I am going to do what I think is best for the health and safety that includes mental health and safety and emotional health and safety of my kids. I will never let any child come through my classroom feeling unloved or ashamed for who they are. You know, I don't know what's more concerning that she's out of breath from simply talking or that she wants to talk to four-year-olds about their sexuality. On second thought, the latter is definitely the most concerning. The former is her own health issue that I hope she gets checked out. But uh, she, as with many other teachers, has you know made herself known. All for the best, I think. Same goes for this guy. He's a fifth grade teacher who's very excited to make this announcement. Listen. I ended up telling the, my students that I was gay. Um, and how it came up was one of the students, I was like, you know, my mom thinks that you're gay because of your voice. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. So, so they were asking me if I was because I kind of alluded that I was. So I kind of let them wonder and ponder on it. And I have, like, um, you know, like, the LGBT uh, promotional, like, uh, this is a safe community kind of stuff, the rainbow stuff all up in my room. And I told them, I'm like, if you look around the room, that should give you an answer to your question. So I did officially tell them. Um, they, of course, went berserk. So instead of teaching social studies today, um, they just asked me a whole bunch of questions about being gay. So I think it was pretty well. So instead of teaching the subject that he was hired to teach, they instead, the class instead, discussed his sexuality for 45 minutes. Now he tries to pawn responsibility for this distraction off onto the kids themselves, claiming that one of them asked him about his sexuality. It makes you wonder about the environment in that classroom that they all felt it appropriate to talk about it in the first place. But even if that's true, the appropriate response from an adult is to remind the student that they're in class to learn about social studies and conversations should be relegated to that topic, not his personal life. But of course, there's a reason that the students felt it appropriate to bring this up, if they did in fact bring it up. The teacher admits that he has gay paraphernalia draped all over the classroom. Now, if he had Star Wars posters plastered all over the, the walls and a student asked him about Star Wars, it wouldn't be fair to say that the student brought up the subject. He brought it up by making his whole classroom into a Star Wars shrine. Just as, in this case, he had made his classroom into a shrine to his own sexual proclivities. 
And speaking of shrines, by the way, I continue to have to observe that if he had uh, Christian images all over his classroom, crucifixes and everything else, and signs calling uh, students to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, that he'd be fired for that. That would be considered a constitutional violation of the separation of church and state. Well, how is this any different? You know, the, the pride flag is his religion. But he puts it up there. He's just waiting for one of the children to notice all the stuff so that he'd have an excuse to spend an entire class talking about it, talking about himself. And now he's announced it to the world and offered this public confession. I think it's all for the best. Now, a teacher in Kansas, meanwhile, has um, come up with what he believes is a strong defense of sexually indoctrinating kindergartners. You got to listen to this argument to believe it. Although even after you listen to it, you won't believe it. But um, here it is. Listen. They've been exposed to information. They're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it, right? So there is no, you know, what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it. If they haven't been exposed to it, then yeah, you can give them time to develop. But once they're exposed to it and social media is going to do it, right? I know some kindergartners in this school with cell phones. Mine had a cell phone. And so they they get access to information. They can they can learn quickly. The world is teaching them faster than probably you are. And so um, the extent to which we can have conversations with parents around um, how do we want to um, approach talking about LGBTQ plus because there are students as early as kindergarten who are identifying. Um, as uh, non-gender conforming, uh, non-binary, um, that are uh, transgender. Um, and so because they're in our school, they're in our classrooms, then that becomes a responsibility on the adults to say, okay, um, I have a student who identifies this way. And so it's my responsibility to make sure the classroom invite, is inviting to, to them. Uh, just like it is to someone who might be um, Asian, Laotian, um, Korean, um, African, um, whatever the identity is. So the research says there's no age too young to talk about pretty much anything, he says. There are kindergartners who are gender non-conforming, non-binary, and transgender, he claims. The world has already exposed them to this stuff anyway, he declares. Now, every part of this is false, backwards, contrary to common sense and moral decency. There is no age. I mean, what? There's one second. There's no age too young to talk about anything. So a child's brain from birth is capable of processing and understanding anything at all. Okay, well, then why aren't we giving calculus lessons in preschool? Why don't we have graphic historical lectures about the Holocaust in kindergarten, complete with photographs from Auschwitz? No age is too young, right? And if children aren't too young for any concept, then why do we have age of consent laws? I mean, consent is, is mental. It's a psychological thing. It's a psychological assent to engage in a certain activity. That's what consent is. Our current laws assume that children do not have the psychological and mental formation required to give fully informed consent, which they don't. But according to his logic, should we get rid of that too? Well, it's a rhetorical question. No need to answer it. I already know the answer. The answer from the groomers, at least to the last question, is yes, we should get rid of it. Now, that might not be their explicit verbal answer right now, but they'll get there. The, the current controversy is pushing them ever faster and further to that final mask-off moment. These people, what you have to understand is that they're at war with not just children, but childhood itself as a concept. They despise innocence and purity in any form, especially the innocence and purity of childhood. They see it as something that has to be destroyed, consumed, obliterated, and replaced with something else, something that's broken and damaged, as broken and damaged as themselves. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, we've been talking a lot lately about inflation. And here's one thing that you should know. When inflation is at 7% like it is now, that paper money in your wallet is losing value fast. 
and you could just feel your wallet getting lighter and lighter if you have any cash in it to begin with, which I never do. But also we know that Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine has now worsened the market's slow decline. It's just bad on top of bad. But today, an ounce of gold is worth $1,900. It was worth about $300 an ounce in 2000. I've been telling you for a while now that you can buy gold from Birch Gold. It's your hedge against inflation. But did you know there's another way to hedge against inflation? That is buy silver from Birch Gold. Silver is also considered a real money, and historically speaking, it's extremely undervalued right now. It's an industrial metal that's in high demand for everything from electric cars to solar panels. Demand is only going to rise, and some analysts suggest that there's an unusual dislocation in price that may present very real opportunities for silver to rally over the next two years. Regardless, silver, like gold, is never going to zero. So call Birch Gold. They're the only company I trust. Don't wait. Start diversifying. Text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on buying gold or silver in a tax-sheltered account. There's no obligation to get this info. Text Walsh to 9898 to get your free info kit now. You notice the uh, contradiction, too, by the way. I mean, there's contradictions all over the place when they get into this into this uh, stuff about the so-called don't say gay bill. But they also proclaim that um, on, on one hand, you know, no one's talking about this stuff in the schools anyway. So it's it's irrelevant. It's not a conversation that comes up. But then we also hear from that teacher a minute ago. He says that, well, we've got we have gender nonconforming and transgender kindergartners. Now, that simply did not exist prior to five years ago. And literally anyone who went to kindergarten um, up until a few years ago can attest to this. I mean, just try to find one adult today and ask them, did you have any transgenders in your kindergarten class with you? The answer is going to be no, none. And now, according to this teacher, they're all over the place. And I actually believe that. I mean, I, I believe it. Now, of course, in, in reality, there are no transgender kindergartners that can't, can't actually exist. But there are many kindergartners who are confused about their gender. Um, and so on, on one hand, they tell us that, well, we've got all of these, quote, trans kindergartners. But on the other hand, we don't talk about it in, in the class. So this is a non-issue. Well, how did we end up with so many if you don't talk about it? This is precisely how we've ended up in this position where we have all these kids who are confused in the first place because you are indoctrinating them into it at a young age. And it's a self-perpetuating thing, right? It's a circular kind of logic to it where they say that, uh, well, we don't talk about it, but they've, ar- but they've already been exposed, so we might as well talk about it. And then we talk about it, which means that more are exposed. And, well, they've been exposed, so we might as well talk about it. Around and around we go. Now, a little bit more on this. The White House yesterday was... Um, was asked by the only real reporter in the room at these White House briefings, Peter Ducey, about the um, the bill and and uh, whether or not specifically. I think it's a very good question. I'm glad that Peter Ducey asked it. Of course, he wasn't going to get an answer about it, but you have to try anyway. Uh, he wants to know, does the White House think that kindergartners should actually be taught about things like transgenderism? And here is the non-response he was given. What about this new law in Florida? At what age does the White House think that students should be taught about sexual orientation and gender identity? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, Peter, um, we have spoken to uh, the Don't Say Gay bill in the past, I believe is what you're referring to, and made clear that uh, as we look at this uh, this uh, this law, uh, what we think it's a reflection of is politicians in Florida propagating misinformed, hateful policies that do n- absolutely nothing to address uh, the real issues. Uh, the Department of Education is well positioned and ready to evaluate um, what to do next and uh, when and its implementation, whether its implementation violates federal civil rights law. Uh, but I would note that parents across the country uh, are looking to um, you know, uh, national, state, and district leaders to uh, support our nation's students, to ensure that uh, kids are treated equally in schools, and that is certainly not, this is not a reflection of that. And, and so just the last one, it, so if you guys oppose this law that bans classroom instruction about uh, sexual orientation and gender identity in K through 3, does White House support that kind of classroom instruction before kindergarten? Do you have examples of schools in uh, Florida that are teaching kindergartners about sex education? I'm just asking for the president. Well, I think that's a re- I think that's a relevant question because I think this is a politically charged, uh, harsh law that is putting 
parents and LGBTQ plus kids in a very difficult, uh, heartbreaking uh, circumstance. And so I actually think that's a pretty relevant question. Well, two, two completely contradictory points here that she gives. It makes no sense. So on one hand, it's an attack on human rights. And this is a horrible, harsh thing that is causing so much trauma to LGBT people across the Florida and across the entire world. Um, so that's on one hand. On the other hand, um, it is outlawing something that never happens anyway, she claims. So then why are you so upset about it? If it's true that it's outlawing something that never happens anyway, then, I mean, you can argue, uh, you can make a similar argument to the one that I made against the anti-lynching law, which is that this is an unnecessary law, it's all virtue signaling, whatever. So you, you can you can make that law, you can make that argument. It would be a false argument in this case. It was true when it comes to the anti-lynching law. Um, but those are two different arguments. How can it be both? How can it be a law that on one hand does nothing and on the other hand infringes on civil rights? If it's infringing on civil rights, then it must be doing something. And then you have to ask, well, what exactly is it doing? Because all the law does, according to the language, is prohibit classroom instruction on these topics from K through third grade. So in the same breath, in the same answer, she has two different conflicting narratives about this law. And she's hoping that everybody is too stupid to notice. And unfortunately, the fact is that at least half of the country, or almost half, really is too stupid to notice. Or too distracted to notice at any rate. Um, okay, one other thing before we move on. I got I to gotta play this for you, too. Just because this is another one of those situations where I was subjected to it, and now I have to, you know, I have to spread the misery around because misery loves com- company. And here is um, someone who describes themselves as a, an actor and a comedian. You wouldn't really know from this, but this is a video that went viral of his own musical protest against the bill. Let's all suffer through this together. Gosh, I'd hate to upset your Republican peers. So let me say this soft so no one hears. I've always been. Here's an interesting fact. Gay. Oops, I said it. I'm gay. You can bet it's a badge that I wear with a fabulous flag. Cause I'm gay, 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 gay. Yeah, we know, but we, we, we know you don't need to. That's one thing I love about, about so many of these things. If people are coming out shouting, I'm, I'm gay. Is like, okay, well, no one, no one ever said you can't say that. Also, you know, we all, we know, but thank you for announcing it in any case. All right. Here's an update on the story from yesterday. The, uh, the story we led the show with yesterday, an important story that's being largely ignored, certainly by by mass media, even a lot of conservative media isn't uh, giving this the inten- attention it needs and deserves. But the Daily Wire has the update. The Washington, D.C. medical examiner said that it will not be performing autopsies on bodies of aborted babies that were turned into police last week. Pro-life, pro-life activists and medical professionals say that the bodies show signs of illegal and gruesome abortion procedures, and these activists fear that the bodies will be incinerated before proper autopsies can be conducted. Live Action's Director of Government Affairs told The Daily Wire on Monday, quote, one of the worst injustices would be if the medical examiner and D.C. government dispose or incinerate the bodies of these children before a full autopsy can be completed. Uh, He said, quote, the abortionists do not want autopsies performed because they may indicate violations of federal law. D.C. must preserve these remains until a full, fair, and thorough investigation can can be completed. Now, to remind you about the story, this is um, a... Pro-life group, I forget the name of it, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising Group, um, one of the members of that group obtained the bodies of five children who are victims of abortion and obtained these bodies from a whistleblower, apparently, within the clinic. And according to that whistleblower, these babies were killed in illegal procedures, whether it's partial birth abortion, which is supposedly illegal, or even there's evidence that you can plainly see, if you see the pictures, um, as many people did as, as uh, over the weekend, uh, the kind of pictures that are seared into your mind forever and you never forget, but you can plainly see the evidence that even uh, p- potentially this, these were abortions that occurred after birth. Now, by the way, the distinction between a partial birth abortion and an after-birth abortion, a post-birth abortion, are semantics at best. Partial birth abortion, the baby is being killed 
as he emerges from the birth canal, like part of his body is out of the birth canal, and then um, his skull is crushed or, or uh, you know, something, uh, basically a vacuum is, is stuck into his skull and his brains are sucked out of his body. I mean, that's, that's how these procedures are carried out. That's the reality of it. Um, so that's partial birth, which was legal in this country for a long time. Now it's supposedly illegal. And then after birth abortion or post birth abortion is just infanticide. In other words, is just wait for the baby to fully emerge and then kill him. There's, there's no moral distinction at all between the two. Um, there's no medical distinction or physical distinction either. Certainly no scientific distinction. So there's evidence that this is what happened to these um, babies. The police, once the pro-life group obtained the bodies of these victims, they contacted the police and said, "We come, come pick them up. And so far, the police are saying, we're not going to investigate. Which, like we talked about yesterday, wh- whether we're talking about abortion victims or anything else, you're given the bodies of five dead people, wouldn't you want to do an autopsy to figure out how they died? Isn't that the first thing you would do? Well, not according to the police anyway. Here's Executive Assistant Chief of Police Ashan Benedict explaining that um, although they were just made aware of these victims, uh, they still have just decided already that everything is fine and there's really nothing to investigate. Listen. Um, in regards to the uh, house that was found with numerous fetuses today, can you confirm if that is the home of Lauren Handys? And do you have any idea on how uh, those fetuses got there? And if you all have been working with other authorities across the country? Sure. So there's there's a couple of there's two different things going on here. Miss um, Handy has uh, been indicted in a federal investigation uh, led by the FBI that MPD was not a part of. Um, so that's number one. The, the second piece is that we were led to that uh, house that you mentioned. Uh, we did recover items that were, these are preliminary results. OCME uh, looked at, took a look at those items. They are have been confirmed as fetuses. Um, what we're seeing now is they those fetuses were aborted in accordance with D.C. law. So we are not investigating this incident along those lines. Doesn't speak anything criminal in nature right now about that, except for how they got into this house. And so we'll continue to look at that working with authorities in other states with how they got here to the D.C. area? This is very early on, and I think the FBI's case may touch on interstate, but at this point, we're, we're about a day into this. I don't know. If that doesn't make your blood boil, um, then you, you have no soul. He's, t- he's t- referring to dead children, dead babies, as items. He says, oh, we obtained the items. Well, I ask you, would he ever talk about um, you know, the victims of a car crash or a mass shooting, if there's a mass shooting at a mall somewhere, and he's talking about recovering the bodies, would he say, oh, yeah, well, we obtained 15 items. That's how he's talking about these children, because he does not recognize the children as being human beings. He doesn't recognize them as people. And as far as he's concerned, even though you have Ted, you have, you have five children who have been brutally killed. Um, for him, the only crime worth investigating is not how they were killed, but how they ended up, how they were discovered. The crime is in the discovering of the crime. Pretty common theme when it comes to the abortion industry. Like we talked about yesterday, it's the same thing with the Center, Center for Medical Progress. When they conducted an undercover investigation and revealed that Planned Parenthood was chopping up babies and harvesting their organs and selling them for parts like an old vehicle or something, you know. Um, and the crime there was not that this was happening. It's that the Center for Medical Progress found out about it. So they're the criminals. Talk about shooting the messenger, almost in a literal sort of way. Um, and he's just decided that we're not even going to look into it. All they did, well, they haven't done an autopsy. So this was just sort of the naked eye test. They, they looked at the bodies and said, well, no illegal abortion. There is no way to know that. They cannot possibly know it. No, it's quite the opposite. They fear, they're afraid that there was something illegal that happened. And that if they do the autopsy, they'll discover it and they will have to prosecute um, 
a prominent abortionist in the city, which they refuse to do. Because the abortion industry is basically a quasi-governmental agency at this point. These are, it is protected by the government and funded by the government as if it is the government, as if it's part of the government. And the only, the only hazard in this conversation, and we should be calling, this is something, I mean, all conservatives, I, I don't care if you're conservative, just if you're a decent person, you should be demanding that this is at least investigated. There is no reason why you wouldn't do an autopsy. Well, you just don't feel like it? You got better things to do? You don't have time? The only reason to do it is that you are blatantly trying to cover up a crime. And every decent person should be demanding that that doesn't happen. The only hazard in this conversation is that it obscures the point that even if these were, quote, legal abortions, it's still a horrific crime. Maybe not according to the law books, but that's because the law books themselves are twisted. And the law books need to be changed. So there's a crime, at least a horrific moral crime that occurred one way or another. But either way, there needs to be an investigation. Is uh, I don't know how I'm still shocked by this kind of thing somehow. Just that they could be so out in the open about it. You might as well hold a press conference and just say to the press that, hey, listen, we don't, we're not interested in prosecuting abortionists here. That's not what we do. So whatever he did, not we're, we're not looking into You might as well say that. They have all but said that. All right, let's move to this. I don't even know how to set this up exactly, but uh, so I won't. Let's just listen to the latest from Joe Biden. When I was a young senator, I was a, there was a guy who uh, ran steel from Deemer Steel out to Ohio. And uh, so I decided to ride out with him to see what it was like on the strike. And I was driving, going through Shiloh, Ohio, and uh, and he he was his handle was Big Ten, and remember everybody, all the truck stops were being blockaded at the time during the strike, and he uh, he called, he said Big Ten wanting to come in, I forget exactly how he said it, and the and the only woman truck driver I ever knew I met that day, she said this is Big Mama, no room, <laughs> swear to God, true story. Yes, uh- Big Mama had corn pop sitting in the in the passenger seat. I you know I, I thought before I played that clip I should look into it to find out the context because I'm I'm totally mystified by it. I have no idea what the context was, uh, but it it actually doesn't matter the context. I think we've learned that by now about Biden that there's no context that can make any of this make any sense. So we've got corn pop. We've got Big Mama. Look, this is a this is a a, a man who should be sitting on a porch somewhere in a rocking chair telling stories. That's all he really wants to do anyway. And so he should be sitting on a, that's where he belongs, is like sitting on a porch in a rocking chair telling stories. And all his grandkids are listening and saying, oh, did that actually happen? And, you know, because like half, it's, the stories are 90% not true, whether he's lying or he just forgets what, what happened in the past because his, his mind is failing him. But that's, that is the proper context for this man not running the free world. So every time you see one of those videos, it's always one of those moments where you, you laugh because it's funny and then the laughter soon fades away into sheer terror because you realize that, oh, like this guy is, he's not on a porch in a rocking chair. He's, he's actually in charge of the country and he has no clue what's going on currently. And the second option aside from him is Kamala Harris who is only slightly more cognizant than he is. That's the position we put ourselves in. All right, one more thing. This is from the Daily Wire. It says, not even, it's not even June yet, and already corporations are signaling their allegiance to the progressive LGBT agenda, the latest seemingly unaffiliated brand. To come out in support of the cause is none other than Oreo Cookie, which has been owned by the multinational food and beverage conglomerate Mondelez International since 2012. Um, the marketing team at Oreo... Couldn't wait until Pride Month to put out a new commercial spot, which featured a young man coming out as gay to his grandmother. This is an Oreo ad. First of all, before we play this ad, or a little bit of it, uh, as mentioned in the article, like you, you, we're a couple months away from Pride Month, and it gets more extravagant with each passing year. But especially with what's happening in Florida and everything else, you cannot even imagine 
the sheer intensity of the virtue signaling that we are about to experience once we get to Pride Month. It is going to be like un- unlike anything. I don't know if any of us will survive the month without cringing to death because what we're about to play here with this Oreo ad, this is, oh, this is just an appetizer. Um, so let's play a little bit of this. Go ahead. So sure. Ijaren. Okay, well, the ad is not in English either, so this doesn't really translate for an audio podcast, but... All I can tell you is I watched the ad, and it's like it's like 75 minutes long, and the Oreos appear in it one time. Okay, this is all about... So this, this guy, he's, he's going he's gonna to come out of the closet to his grandmother. Uh, there's the Oreo. So the Oreo does make an appearance. Right before he's about to come out of the closet, they, they take some Oreos. And then his grandmother comes in. Okay, all right, we've seen enough of that. You know, I could almost... All right, I don't even want to see it. Turn it off. Um, I could almost... I'm not going to say respect it, but I would be somewhat impressed with all these virtue-signaling LGBT ads if you could find a way within the ad to tie it back to the product. Like, that would be impressive. I'd actually watch the ad just to see, like, how do you get there? How do you bring this back to advertising for a cookie? Uh, But they don't even bother to do that anymore. This is, it seems like a small thing, but just the fact that um, every major conglomerate, every major corporation in America are tripping over themselves. I mean, they're... They're even discarding their own messaging. Forget about, forget about advertising their product. The primary point of this ad, and this is, a very, this is a very new thing, because it used to be that, yeah, advertisers, they would seize on social issues and that kind of thing to sell their product, but the primary message in the advertisement was always about the product. It, was, it always came back to, buy my product. You know, Pepsi and Coca-Cola do this kind of thing all the time about, hey, what a, teach the world to sing, and it's a, a peace and harmony. But... How do you bring peace and harmony to the world? It's by, it's by drinking Pepsi or Coca-Cola, whatever that ad was. Now they've gotten rid of that. The ad is not even about the product. The ad is simply to affirm their allegiance to the LGBT cause. And that is when you know you have power in the culture. That's when you know you have privilege. When you have major corporations who are even discarding their concerns for the bottom line and profiting for the sake of bending the knee to you. That's perfect. Well, if you've been listening to my show for a while, you know that I've been an activist against the lazy grocery shoppers who don't don't put their grocery carts away. I have some unfortunate news. The grocery carts attacked me in my own car. This is a very real story, not just something I'm saying for the purposes of this ad. Unfortunately, when I was pulling out of my parking spot, a rogue grocery cart crashed into my car, leaving my front bumper scratched. And more importantly leaving me emotionally traumatized by this event. There are two lessons we can take away from this. One, don't be lazy and put your shopping carts away so I don't have to suffer. And two, you can solve an issue like mine quickly and without breaking the bank by just visiting rockauto.com. They have touch-up paint and pens that are as easy to use as a magic marker. rockauto.com is an online, family-owned business that sells all the auto parts you could ever possibly need that are specific to your own vehicle. Their prices are shockingly reasonable, and their shopping is quick, and also their shipping is quick. So no matter what, Um, It happens to be going on with your car. You can trust Rock Auto to get what you need fast. Rock Auto has a very user-friendly website, and they can make it very easy for you to pick the right parts for your car. You'll see photo specs and even installation tips, so you can feel confident that you're choosing the correct parts for your vehicle. So what are you waiting for? Go to rockauto.com for your auto parts needs today, and write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box, so they know that I'm the one that sent you. That's rockauto.com to shop for your auto parts today. Okay, let's get to the comment section. Do you know their name? All right. Um, Braden says, Matt, you said you would quit if the Daily Wire bought the rights to VeggieTales. I laughed so hard when DW announced that they hired the VeggieTales guys to make children's content for you. Now, this is the claim that Braden made is that I, I had previously announced that if we bought the right, that if we bought VeggieTales, I would quit and resign from the Daily Wire. Um, I don't know, remember that exactly, but I think we have the clip. Let's go back and uh, 
and just do a fact check on this. Major Tom Fisher says, was thinking about the question about Daily Wire's future movies, and now I really want to see DW buy Big Idea back from DreamWorks and finally bring back VeggieTales, bringing it back to its home in Tennessee, too. I can tell you right now, if Daily Wire buys VeggieTales, I quit. I want no part of that. All right, so you see there, technically, I, I did say that if, that if, that if we, yes, it's great if we get into child, children's entertainment, but if we purchase VeggieTales, then I'll resign from the Daily Wire. Um, but technically, we did not purchase VeggieTales. What we did is we hired the guys who wrote VeggieTales. So that's the distinction. And I think it's an important distinction. And it's, look, it's nothing against mm-hmm. VeggieTales itself. Let me, let me clarify something here, okay? Uh, it's, it's not a problem with VeggieTales. It's just that you have to understand, as a, as a Christian child of the 90s, the VeggieTales were inescapable. So everywhere you went, you were haunted by cucumbers and broccoli singing to you about J- Jesus Christ. And so after a while, it just kind of, you can never look at salads the same way again, and it just, it, it, it has this effect on you, and so that's what I'm traumatized by that. That's the way I'm justifying it anyway. You're not getting rid of me so easily. Janelle Camp says, you're right, Matt. A friend told me last week that he found out they've put a litter box in the girls' restroom at the local public school. This is happening in a small town in Illinois because one of the kids identifies as a cat. I can't imagine who cleans it. The student, so insane. Yes, uh, you might hear this, and you oh, this is just someone, this is a YouTube comment, uh, this can't really be happening. This is 100% happening. In fact, there are libs of TikTok on Twitter recently. I just recently had a, an image of this, like an, an actual litter box in a public school restroom for students who identify as cats. This is really happening. That is a thing that is happening in our schools now. That is how broken the schools are. That is how deep the intentionally cultivated and fostered identity crisis has become for kids. Um, Let's see, what else do we got? Jay Lynn says, when Matt said that McDonald's fries are the worst, I out loud gasped and said, Matthew. Well, I mean, they are. Like I said, it used to be that they were, I'd put them in the top five, but recently there's no effort that goes into it anymore with McDonald's, with their product, with their service, anything. They just, you, you, you sit in line at the drive-thru, and even if there's just two cars in front of you, you're going to be in line for 45 minutes, and then you pull up and they just throw the food at you, and it's like they didn't even bother to cook it half the time. No effort, zero effort. Arby's, on the other hand, they put real effort into their product, and especially into their french fries. Um... Let's see. Another comment says, my cousin who's pretty conservative and based has been dating a girl who just started working at an abortion clinic as a social worker. She doesn't need the money as her family is well off and and she is somewhat well off as well. Told him that if she won't quit, he needs to end the relationship as it will never be anything but miserable. Plus all the feminist gender theory stuff that goes along with that crowd is extra poisonous on top. His girlfriend actually is pretty cool and a kind person for the most part. But seems like the new job is a deal breaker. Was I too harsh or forward with him? Separate from not biting my tongue, could I be incorrect on my, in my take on things? Uh, no, not, a, not at all. Especially in a, in a dating relationship. Um, you know, there's no reason at all. This is, this, is, this is an easy one. You're not committed to the person. You're not married. They're advertising ahead of time. This is an important point, too. Even leaving aside the fact that she's working at an abortion clinic. That's obvious. You're working at an abortion clinic. This is not, this is not, so this is not wife material. This is not someone you can have a relationship with. Um, because for one thing, you, you have to be able to, you can have differences. I mean, they say opposites attract. But when opposites attract, that's, that's referring more to personality. My wife and I have diametrically opposite personalities. But your fundamental beliefs and values and principles and goals in life, the things that you cherish most, you cannot be opposites on that. That's exactly where you have to connect. That's where the relationship is formed. That's where it's maintained. And so if you have a girlfriend who works at an abortion clinic and you're pro-life, that clearly tells you that you are on, you could not be further apart in terms of your fundamental values, right? And even if she didn't work at an abortion clinic, uh, if you're dating someone who's pro-abortion, 
who just has pro-abortion views. That is also a deal breaker. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One that I just described, but also you have to think about this. I mean, if eventually you get married and you have kids, if someone's pro-abortion, then you know that it's at least in their mind a possibility. It's at least an option to kill your child in the womb. And that's simply a risk you can't take. Um, you, you need to be able to trust your spouse with your child. Trust that your, your child will be safe with your spouse. The worst thing in the world, I mean, really the worst, is to be married to someone who you feel like you cannot trust, especially with your children. Um, and finally, if I could find it, uh, Tie My Shoe says, Matt, are you going to narrate your own audiobook this time or continue to be lazy? Edit, just realized he'll call me lazy for not reading the physical book. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. But if you are lazy, yes, I am narrating uh, the audiobook uh, in this case. And the book we're referring to, of course, is What is a Woman, which you can go and pre-order on Amazon or at whatisawoman.com. There's the plug. Let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, you know, I don't think it could be more clear that the world has descended into absolute degeneracy, so there's never been a better time to renew your faith in God. That's why I'm extremely excited to announce that today is the release of Andrew Clavin's latest book, The Truth and Beauty. After years of studying the Gospels and trying to find the true meaning of Jesus' words, Clavin is ready to share what he has found. It's for anyone who's striving for uh, belief in a materialistic world, and I could not recommend it enough. It's a beautiful book in keeping with the title. Head to Amazon and order your copy of The Truth and Beauty today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we're going to cancel Madonna, who is 63 years old, less than a decade away from her 70th birthday, and yet utterly determined to pretend that she hasn't aged a day since she turned 22. Um, These efforts have proven futile, as recently demonstrated by a TikTok she posted, because she's posting TikToks at 63. I'm 35 and too old for TikTok. She's my mom's age, and yet using the platform. Her latest offering shows her uh, kind of mugging for the camera, leaning in uncomfortably close, and pouting her lips in what we can only assume is some sort of attempt to be, I don't know, sexually alluring. Unfortunately, Madonna has had so much plastic surgery and Botox that she now resembles some sort of tropical lizard, or perhaps she looks like somebody who's suffering a severe allergic reaction. And I'm not body shaming her when I say that. On the contrary, The parts of her body that I'm shaming are the parts that are not her body at all. Tragically, the parts of her body that are not her body are, at this point, her entire body. Because she would rather look like a non-human than than simply looking like an older human. And that's the first point that Madonna inadvertently raises for us. She might be an extreme example of this phenomenon, but she's hardly the only example. Plastic surgery is increasingly popular in our culture, with rates of the procedure increasing by some 25% over the past couple of decades. Now, I'm not arguing against plastic surgery in principle. I think the procedure can be worthwhile, certainly justifiable, in cases where somebody is suffering from a horrible disfigurement of some kind, a burn victim, for example. But age itself is not a disfigurement. It's not a disease. It's not shameful. It's not ugly. Now, we've grown accustomed to treating age this way in our culture. The the completely ridiculous rule of modern etiquette, which says that it's rude to ask somebody their age, kind of plays into this mentality. I mean, why shouldn't I ask somebody how old they are? Why is it embarrassing to have lived on the planet for longer than others? Far from embarrassing, most societies throughout history have seen advanced age as a badge of honor. Older people were the village elders. They were wise counselors. You turned to them for sage advice, which is informed by their years of experience on earth. Old people were storytellers, um, like Joe Biden with Big Mama and Corn Pop. They were the keepers of of, uh, not only wisdom, but your culture's past. They were respected and honored. They kept you connected to your past because they lived through it. Now, there are many cultures around the world today that still treat the elderly this way. Go to any of these places and you'll never hear somebody declare that they're 70 years young. No, they're 70 years old. Emphasis on old because uh, there is value and beauty and wisdom in being old. We have the opposite attitude here. We don't honor old age anymore. We don't want to see it. You know, we usher old people off to the nursing homes. And then if you're in New York, you send in uh, COVID patients after them. 
Part of the shift may be explained by the fact that modern medicine has made it so that we no longer see it as any sort of special achievement to reach old age. Most of us get there no matter how we've lived. But I think more than that, we, we are shallow and superficial. And so we value the most frivolous aspects of youth more than we value the deepest benefits of old age. Adding to the trouble, we also hate everything that is old. This includes art, music, architecture, human beings themselves. Because our culture is at war with its own past. And has determined that everything and everyone who existed prior to 30 years ago was an ignorant racist savage. But perhaps most saliently of all, I think we fear our own mortality. And old age is a reminder of mortality. As the old are perceived as being closer to death than the young... Now, this is a false perception because the veil separating us from this life and the next is thin and fragile for everyone, and death follows us all around everywhere, whether we like it or not. But this is how we see it. And so we treat old age like a curse, a shame, something to be hidden. We don't want to look at it. Many older people themselves have adopted this attitude. In fact, people in Madonna's generation helped to foster this attitude in our culture to begin with. And so... She not only carves up her own body trying to tear away the old flesh like there's a younger version of herself hiding underneath it, but she also conducts herself and acts like she's a teenage TikToker instead of a grandmother. The results are bizarre and often quite unsightly and pathetic, which is why I implore older people, I beseech them with this. If you're old, just be old. Look old. You aren't going to fool anybody. And why should you try? Just be who you are. Be what you are. There is dignity in that. There is no dignity in whatever the hell Madonna has become. And that's why she is today, finally, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 